standing and we're going to read through um, the call to worship. You can just join in with Adrian as she reads the people part. The Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want. God makes us lie down in green pastures. We shall not want. God leads us beside still quiet waters. We shall not want. Restore, Restore us through, through your, your Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit the love of Jesus Christ, and the comfort of your presence. Lord, we long for light, but all is darkness, and we walk in deep shadows. We have driven back justice. Truth has stumbled in the streets and think darkness is over the people. We confess our sinful deeds. We confess to the Lord. I invite you to just silently pray in this time. As everything exposed to the light becomes visible, we walk from darkness into light. Open our eyes, Jesus, that our lives may radiate your glory. Amen. We're going to sing This Little Light of Mine, and um, we had an opportunity uh, with Levi and, and Lyndon to uh, be a part of the Kids Connect this uh, Wednesday night. And so we are going to sing the verses that they sing for that. So they might be different to you, but it's the same tune, so you'll be fine. So join us, please.
there's a lot of other really great songs that they're singing at Kids Connect. And if you want to know some of them, ask um, Christine, and I'm sure she could pass on the YouTube videos, and you would be encouraged by those as well. All right. Well, I'll stand for one more song, and then you can have a seat after that. if you're interested in reading from the songbook as well. Good fellowship. 
continue on in our worship in in different physical ways um just pray god that you would um take our gifts of of song to you and use it to your honor and glory we also bring you um the gifts that we have received from you in in money and time and god we put those at your feet as well Remind us that those are yours, and um, bless them and use them. Amen. While the worship team goes down, I will invite you to turn to John 9. John 9, and we'll be reading from 1 to 17, and then later 34 to 41. As Jesus went along, he saw a man who was blind. He had been blind since he was born. Jesus' disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? Was this man born blind because he sinned, or did his parents sin? It isn't because this man sinned, said Jesus. It isn't because his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's power could be shown by what is going to happen. While it is still day, we must do the works of the one who sent me. Night is coming, and then no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And after he said this, he spit on the ground. He made some mud with the spit, and then he put the mud on the man's eyes. Go, he told them, wash in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed, and he came home able to see. His neighbors and people who had seen him earlier begging asked questions. Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? They asked. Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But the man who had been blind kept saying, I am that man. Then how were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. So they brought the Pharisees to the Pharisees, the man who had been blind. The day Jesus made the mud 
and open the man's eyes was the Sabbath day. And so the Pharisees also asked him how he was able to see. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and then I washed, and now I can see. Some of the Pharisees said, Jesus has not come from God. He does not keep the Sabbath day. But others asked, how can a sinner do such signs? So the Pharisees did not agree with one another. And then they turned again to the blind man. What do you have to say about him? They asked. It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. Moving on to 34. Then the Pharisees replied, when you were born, you are already deep in sin. How dare you talk to us like this? And they threw him out of the synagogue. Jesus heard the Pharisees had thrown the man out of the synagogue. When Jesus found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so I can believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, I have come into the world to judge it. I have come so that people who are blind will see. I've come so that people who can see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard them say this. They said, what? Are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But since you claim you can see, you remain guilty. The word of the Lord. Isn't it good that we have some people here that know how to fix things so that the rest of us can hear? I'm going to get all the kids that are here to come to the front row and have a seat. Oh, while I do that, I just quickly forgot a paper here. Excellent. You have a seat there, Andrew? Good. Now, we heard some, some of these verses here that were just read, and talking about light. So what if we were, what if it was dark outside and we were to turn off all the lights in the church and I wanted you to go and get a washcloth from the kitchen and it was totally dark, would you be able to find your way? Yeah, it'd be pretty hard. No, you wouldn't, right? You might, but you might also stumble, trip on a bunch of things in the way too, right? Jesus performed many miracles, and that was what was read here just now, one of those miracles, in making, in, in this case, Jesus healed a blind man so that he could see again. Now, Jesus, as we read in the Bible, performed many miracles. This was just one of them. But those miracles would make the people wonder, what, is there more to this? I don't understand completely what you're doing, Jesus. And the one miracle that we're going to focus on today is Jesus saying that I am the light of the world. People didn't understand, so Jesus gave them this statement. He said to them, I am the light of the world. Hmm. Well, what does that mean? See, Jesus was concerned, not just that people couldn't see that we're blind, but that each one of us, a lot of times we stumble on things in, in our mind or in our actions. Maybe, we, maybe our eyes are open, but we stumble on things and we, we don't react properly or as we should to certain situations, certain things that happen to us. So, speaking of light, what do I have here? Candle, that can be a source of light, right? If it's totally dark and we light a candle, then we'll be able to see a little bit. 
It's like Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. Sometimes we have flashlights. If, if, the, if the power, the electricity goes out in our house, we might light a candle or we might get a flashlight or we might even get something fancier here like a, like a headlamp. Pretty bright, eh? Yeah, it has different functions too. I'm not sure about that one. Right, so what does light do for us? It helps us see in the dark, right? So I was trying to think of a story in my life where I didn't totally understand a situation and I needed someone to shine some light on that. <clears throat> so I was thinking, and I was kind of in between your ages there, I think. I was the, I was the youngest brother. Who's, we, no, you're, you're not the youngest brother, you're the youngest sister, right? Yeah. And are you the youngest too? No. I had three other brothers, and they were all older than me, and two of those brothers one day were helping pick apples in the backyard. And I was like your age, and I was picking apples too, and then all of a sudden, one of them brothers came up to me and told me to open my hand, and in that, they put a rotten apple into my hand, and not only that, they proceeded to close my hand around that rotten apple. Can you imagine? Now I had this watery, icky, rotten, greasy apple in my hand. So, what did I do? What? Eat it? That would have been interesting. I'm not sure how my brothers would have reacted to that. Yeah, that would be a bad, bad idea. Oh, I dropped whatever I could. I mean, there's still some stuck to my hand. So I ran back to our house, talked to my mom, explained what had happened. And you know what she said to me? I tell you, it didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me at that time. She said, if you don't let it bother you, they won't do it. So don't react to them. Wow. I wanted my mom to go and, you know, give them some discipline, like make them work harder next time or something. I don't know. I wanted them to, to suffer. And you know what? If I reacted to them, chances are they would react to me in a, in a worse way yet. And it would keep going on and on and on. So... What I didn't understand was, at that time, that if I just didn't react, just stopped and kept on going like it didn't bother me, then that cycle would break and then, and then uh, they wouldn't bother me as, as much if, if, it doesn't seem, if, it, if it didn't seem to bother me. Why would they try and make, do bad stuff to me? So, so that was one thing that I didn't understand completely. But I do now. And so hopefully when we read the Bible and we, we read things about Jesus being the light, well, he wants to reveal to us how to do things better, how to live better and cooperate with others 
and our, our brothers and sisters still. All right, we're going to do the prayer. I'm going to get you to stand up. We've done this the last few Sundays. So stand up. I'm going to make sure I don't get the words wrong here. Do you remember? Thank you, God, for creating us. You, we, can, we can choose. We can connect. We can create. Jesus continues to work in us and through us. It's incredible. Thank you, God. Amen. You can go back. Please bow with me now to dismiss the little ones to Children's Church. Dear God, we thank you for each of the children of our congregation. We pray that as they go now to Children's Church, that they will find themselves learning new things about you, that they will keep with them all their lives. We pray a blessing on them and the teacher as well. We put this before you, and we pray a blessing on our service today also. Pray these things in your name. Amen. All right. Children's Church down the hall, that way. If you have your bulletins on you, now is the time to pull them on out. And you will see that there are more things going on today even. Today at 3 p.m., the care home service. We have the privilege of putting that on today. I will be speaking, uh, and it will be a good time. 3 p.m. today, come on down. It'll be filled with music. It'll be filled with visiting. It'll be... Well worth your time, so 3 p.m. Wednesday, 2 p.m., prayer meeting will be at the church still in the afternoon. There's discussions about when prayer meeting should be after children's church is done, so there might be an update as far as that goes over the weeks to come. But for this one, 2 p.m., prayer meeting at the church. 6.30 p.m., Kids Connect, and it is the last Kids Connect of the year. Next week is uh, spring break. And so in line with that, there is also an ask. They need all of the cookies. Those were the exact words, all of the cookies, because there's going to be parents coming to this, so there might very well be 100 people. We don't know, but we need more cookies. So anybody that likes baking cookies and can get them out for Wednesday, talk to Amy. And if there's all of a sudden more than we need, well, great. We can freeze them. We can give them away. For lunches at school, there's all sorts of things, but we need all of the cookies, so keep that in mind. Then, moving on, Sunday, 9.45, there's going to be at the Sunday school next week, 10.45, the worship service. Skipping on down, the Fair Family Band is going to be putting on a couple of concerts next Sunday, uh, sorry, next weekend for One Hope Canada. Bill wanted to make sure that we knew that they were going on. So Gladstone Church, March 25th, that is when they're going to be there. Portage Evangelical, the 29th. There's also a couple other, but they are much further and farther away. So if you are interested in hearing the Fair Family Band, then note those two dates there. Palm Sunday lunch on April 2nd. That is sadly coming up very quickly. Oh, time does fly by. That's only two weekends from now. And so we need our annual uh, buns and soup. That's what we always do for our meal on Palm Sunday after the service. So if you are interested in bringing soup or buns, there is a sign-up behind the couch on the table there. 
Uh, if you have a soup that you particularly like and you know that you are very good at making it, then put your name on down there. That is what I would encourage you to do. Uh, then also, April 2nd in the evening will be our next Music in the Church night, and that is choral music. That is going to be led by David and his friend Bruce Moore is coming out, uh, and they are going to be putting that service on together. Over the last couple weeks, we have been writing down all of our favorite hymns on that sheet that is in the back there, and they are going to be drawing from that. So we know for a fact that the songs that we are going to be singing that night are songs that we love, songs that touch us in our hearts. So come on out for choral music, April 2nd at 7 p.m. It is going to be a good day. Next, the phone and address pages. I think this might be the last week that they are going to be out, so if you haven't checked them over, just to make sure that all of the information there is right for you, uh, then I would encourage you to go and do so after the service today. Uh, oh, there is still the sign-up sheet for hymns in the back. I see that here. So make sure that you go and do that as well. Any more announcements? All right. And let's talk about prayer requests. And the first one is sad. Uh, as you probably all know, uh, the Grace Fellowship Church is up for sale, and the congregation is uh, coming to an end. And that is, that is always a sad thing. And so we want to pray for them as they go through this difficult time. We want to pray uh, for Ken. He's taking up a post down in the States uh, so that the move goes well and, and that the next steps go well for everybody involved also. Uh, they are our Hello, brothers and sisters in Christ, and this is a hard time for them, so we want to keep them in our prayers now. Uh, we also want to pray for Andrew Boschman. Uh, Andrew is, as you know, uh, Audrey's son. He had a surgery back in November, we might remember, uh, and there has been an infection or something like that. He has been in and out of pain ever since. And so he is in the Regina Hospital now, and... Uh, it is a little bit better. He saw a specialist this past week, Audrey, uh, told me they have him on all of the antibiotics, at least two different types, both oral and intravenous, in the hopes that that is going to solve this issue. But at the same time, that's five months of pain. So we want to pray that uh, healing comes. We want to pray that this is what is needed. Uh, he's also going to see an infection specialist uh, in the next little while uh, to get more down to the bottom of it. Uh, so we want to pray that that meeting is illuminating as well. All right. And I'm going to put on one more there. As I said, this is the last week of school. Spring break starts next week. So we want to pray that it is a good week of school. And we also want to pray that spring break coming up is going to be a good one for everybody as well. I know of a number of families that might have kids that are graduating, but this is kind of their let's go out and see the world because it might be our last chance type of situation. And I remember that when I was in grade 12. I think a lot of you can remember that as well. And so we want to pray for this last week of school. We want to pray also for spring break coming up. All right. Please bow with me now then in a word of prayer.
God, we come before you this morning, first off, in praise, because always we come before you first, seeing the things you have done. And Lord, we want to bring before you our schools. Lord, we thank you for the hard work of the teachers. We thank you for the hard work of the staff. We thank you for just everything that goes on in our local schools and the good work that they do. Lord, we pray that this last week before spring break will be somehow a productive one. I know it never really seems to be. But at the same time, we pray be with the students. We pray give them that ability to focus and be with the teachers also. And as we go into spring break, Lord, as people find themselves in this one week off, God, we pray that it is a good week. Lord, we pray that it is a restful one. We pray that it is exactly what is needed so that when they come back a week later, then they are ready to run. We also want to pray for the staff and we want to pray for the teachers that that week isn't as much of a time off. It's prepping mostly for what is to come. And God, we pray be with them then. Still bring them the rest that they need during this time. Lord, we thank you again for them. And we put them before you. Now, Lord, we want to bring before you things that we find very hard to hear. Lord, we want to bring before you the closing of Grace Fellowship. All of our brothers and sisters who worship there, it's hard. Hard for us, and we're not in the middle of it. So, God, we pray, lead them to what is to come next. God, we pray, be their strength during this time. God, we pray somehow be seen as a result of this, even if we don't know why right now. We also want to pray for Ken, and as they're going down to the states to take up a new post, Lord, we pray be with them in that transition. Lord, you have the words when we do not. You have the guidance when we can't see what it will be. And so we know that you know what is to come next. And so we pray this at your feet. And finally, God, we want to pray for Andrew Boschman. Lord, we pray that the treatments that he is on now will be exactly the treatments that he needs. We pray that the pain will go away for good. Any infection will go away for good. We pray that soon he will be out of the hospital. Soon he will be right as rain. Lord, we pray for the specialists that he's seeing. We pray that they know exactly what it is that they need to do. Lord, you are a God who knows what true healing is. And so we pray for that. We put that before you this morning also. Lord, all of these things we bring before you, for they are on our hearts and our minds. And we place them at our feet. In your name we pray. Amen. All right.
Well, if you have your Bibles on you, pull them out. Because we are talking about John 9. We are in the fourth, fifth Sunday of Lent. Oh man, does time fly. But we are going to be looking at the story of when Jesus cured the blind man and then healed him as well. In John 9, you went through it in Sunday school. And it's an interesting passage. It's an interesting passage because as you all know, if you've read this before, there are so many deep and wonderful things that you can take out of them. And the one we're going to be talking about today, for the most part, is one that I, I had never thought before. So, let's jump into it. As our passage begins, we see that Jesus and his disciples, they're, they're walking along, and they come across a blind man. This is my, my paraphrasing of what happens. And we're not told that this blind man is a beggar yet. We learn that later on. But we are told that he was blind from birth. And so the fact that he was a beggar, that makes sense in that world. This is a time before things like social safety nets exist. This is a time before things like accessibility laws exist. And so if you were born with a disability of any sort, especially like being blind. These days, if you're blind, there are some jobs that you can do that are namely service work type of things. Service work didn't really exist back then. So if you were born blind, then you were born into the unfortunate situation where someone was going to need to take care of you in some way. And that would fall normally on your family. This was also, unfortunately, a time where wealth disparity was such that even today it looks like nothing. And so, chances are your family couldn't take care of you. In very few situations could they actually take care of you. And so, that meant that there was very few things that you could do in order to pay for food, in order to get by. And one of those things was to be a beggar. But because that's the situation, there was always this wonder that I think still exists to this day that why does this unfortunate thing have to happen? And today we have medical explanations for that type of thing. Well, because this happened. Well, because of that happened. Macular degeneration or ocular degeneration. There, there are many different conditions that would explain why it is that somebody would be born blind. But they didn't have any of that then. And so, all that they saw was that if you were born blind, then it was, it was a hard life. And if it was a hard life, then you could also see that it would be a hard life on your parents. So clearly, to have a disability from birth, clearly that was some kind of a curse. Hence why we have the disciples say what they do to Jesus in the next passage. Was it a result of this man's sins that he was born blind or the sins of his parents? That is a question that is terrible Jewish theology. We know from the book of Job that sometimes, you know, bad things happen. Sometimes people are just born blind. The disciples absolutely should have known that. But at the same time, that's just such a 
pressing question that stays with us to this day. Why does this unfortunate thing happen? And that they asked particularly about sins is telling about how you would look at that as well. Because what do we know about sin as we've talked about it over the years? We know about sin is that sin is something that takes away from who you are as a human being, is it not? Sin is something that makes us less than what we were created to be. And so the fact that these disciples would look at this blind man, this disabled man, and that is the first place they would go, who sinned, who did this to cause this man to be less of a human being than he was meant to be? And then Jesus answers exactly as we would expect he would answer. No one sinned. He was just born that way. He was born blind. And here we get a line that we're going to talk more about in just a bit because it is a line that has rampantly been misunderstood over the history of the church. But he was born blind so that the power of God could be seen in him. And we'll come back to that in just a little bit. But then Jesus does something that we would think pretty gross. Spits in the ground, gets a little bit of mud going, smears it over this man's eyes. It's really weird, isn't it? Like, at the time, though, it wouldn't have been seen quite as weird of a thing to do. This is a period of time where that would actually pass as a form of medicine, and that kind of makes sense. Imagine you cut your finger. What's the first thing you just reactively do when you do it? Put it in your mouth. And so surely the spittle of a holy man, well, that has even more healing properties if our own does. So it makes a certain amount of sense that this would be what they thought about it. And so Jesus applies over the man's eyes what would pass for good medicine at this period of time. And he says, go off to the spring of Shalom, which means to send. If you've ever wondered why Shalom Meshon has its name, that's, that's why. It's the spring that most of Jerusalem gets. You learn about it in the Old Testament as well, but interesting here, it's the spring that the temple gets their water from for all of their purification rituals. Go off to that spring, wash off this mud, and see what happens. And so the blind man goes, and he does this, and he washes off the mud from his eyes, and he can see. And immediately his neighbors, we are told, are just, what is going on? And so he tells them that Jesus did this. He tells them how Jesus did this. And he just comes from him. Then we run into the Pharisees. The Pharisees for a while at this point have been trying to wrap their heads around just who this Jesus is. They're not the biggest fans of him. They're not the biggest fans of him because Jesus has said a number of things that have either straight out embarrassed the Pharisees or have just kind of... <laughs> question their authority, question their ability to understand the scriptures. And as in this period of time, to be a religious leader is kind of the same thing, to be the head of the town, the city, having your authority questioned by 
an upstart from Galilee like Jesus. That's not something that you really let slide. So they're going into this story of Jesus healing this blind man, really trying to find any fault that they possibly can. And the fault that they find is that, well, clearly what this Jesus is doing, this is not a holy thing. Clearly what this Jesus is doing, healing this blind man, is actually from the devil himself because he did it on a Saturday. He did it on the Sabbath. Clearly what he was doing is up to no good. But at the same time, they're trying to get to the bottom of it. They ask the blind man to come and tell them what it all happened. What happened? Who did this? Why? Jesus did this. Who do you think he is? He is the prophet. And that does not sit well with them at all. Does not sit well with them because for many reasons, one, that would put Jesus in a place of authority over them. For another reason, it would mean that they clearly do not know how to read their own scriptures, that Jesus is the prophet. And so they just berate this man. They belittle him. They just talk down to him. They're like, you have to be wrong. And then they insult him to his face. They treat him. They treat him like you would treat a disabled person in the first century, even though he could now see. Finally, you were born in sin. That's why you were blind. You don't know what you're talking about, and they cast him out. Jesus hears about this. He goes and he gets the blind man, and then after a while, back and forth, the blind man figures out who this Jesus is. And immediately, he sees that this is the Messiah, this is the Son of God, this is who I will worship all of my life. The word of the Lord. As I mentioned before, there's a lot of ways this passage has been understood over the years, including ones that I've talked about in the past. One thing that always sticks out to me is is that we have this tendency whenever we come to Bible passages to always try to over-serious them. I mean, this is the word of God, and so it has to be that this is thus saith on high, and you can't pick any humor out of it. But like God created humor, right? So we can notice it when it comes up in his word. And this is a funny passage. We have this blind man who has been blind from birth, and then Jesus smears spit mud in his eyes. And then what happens after that? The, the Pharisees, the very people that should be caring for this man more than anyone, the representatives of God on earth, the, the, the rulers of these towns, what do they do? They're like, oh no, what happened to you is a terrible thing because it happened on a Saturday. It's a little absurd, right? It's a little absurdly funny and It goes a long way to just showing the point that Jesus is making in the end with, uh, well, you think that you understand God fully. Well, you are more blind than this blind man ever was. You think you understand Jesus, but you can't see it all. That's one way one thing we can certainly take out of it. And it kind of leads a little bit to a different way that I'd never thought before. 
I love it when that happens. You come to a passage over the week and study it, and then something else comes out to you, something that you'd never thought of before. And this one I came across, and my, I came across, Shannon pointed me, Shannon's a smart girl. She pointed me in the direction of, of a, a writer named Amy Kelly. Uh, and Amy Kelly is a disabled woman herself and is also a theologian. And she said that this passage is one of her favorites in the whole Bible. It's one of her favorites because of reasons that I, I honestly never thought of before. When we read this passage, what do we often focus on? Those able-bodied of us here. When we read this passage, what we, what we usually focus on, right, in that beginning part was the, he was born blind so the power of God could be seen in him. And what do we think that means? We think that clearly that means that this, this man was born blind so that at this very moment Jesus could walk on by, at this very moment Jesus could heal him and everybody would be just amazed at that miracle. That's a pretty bad understanding of who Jesus is. That's a pretty bad understanding of who God is. And we know that's a bad understanding because it fails what I'm going to call this morning uh, the Disney villain test. As in, if you ever read the Bible in such a way that God is doing something that a literal Disney villain did, you're probably not reading it right. And for those of you that have ever watched the wonderful movie The Impossibles, you'll notice that that is exactly what the bad guy from that movie does. He creates this problem that he can solve so everybody will think he's great and buy his stuff. How is that not what that reading tells us that God is doing here? God made this man blind so that one day Jesus could walk by and heal him and then everybody would love Jesus and they would buy his stuff. Follow him. How Amy Kelly read this, though, as a disabled woman, I think it makes a bit more sense of that. She doesn't actually focus on the part of it that we normally do. When we read this passage, we tend to focus on the healing that's not actually what she focuses on as a disabled woman who was born that way. What she focuses on, first off, is the assumption that the disciples have that clearly somebody must have sinned because she was born this way. Clearly, the fact that she is in a wheelchair from her birth means that somebody sin, that she is, and again, remember what sin is, she is deficient in some way. That is why she is in this wheelchair. She is less of a person. She is the victim of, which then, when Jesus is like, it's not because of sin. It's not because of sin that she was born this way. She was just born this way. There's an awful lot that's being said there. Because what's being said there is, is why 
Were you born disabled? You're born disabled because you were born disabled. You're still a full person, just like anybody else. You're still a full person bearing the image of God, just like anybody else. I think that's a sentiment that we all, on one level, agree with, but at the same time, question whether or not that we live like that in just a little while. But then we come to that line, he was born blind so that the power of God could be seen in him. And how she takes it is in a way that I'd never thought before. It's not so much that she was born blind so that Jesus could heal her and everyone could be just in awe of it. I mean, she's pushing her 40s. That's probably not happening. But instead, because since she was born with this disability, the power of God can be seen in her uniquely, in a way different than it can in anyone else, because she's experienced it uniquely, different than anybody else has. And you can see that as this passage goes on, because where is the power and the glory of God in display in this blind man's life when he is being healed? Is it when he's actually being healed? I would argue very much so not. It's later on when he is going to all of his friends and family and telling them about what Jesus did for them. It's when he's going toe-to-toe with the Pharisees and he doesn't back down that this is God and he is the prophet. That is when we can see the power of God. That is when we can see the glory of God on display in this man. It's later on when he finally comes face-to-face with Jesus and the moment he knows who he is, he drops to his knees and he worships him. That is when we can see the power of God fully. And would he be able to do any of those things if he had not lived the life of a beggar? If he had not lived the life of a blind man? Would he have been able to do any of those things if he had not had that adversity to know how to stand toe-to-toe with people that will see you at the bottom no matter what? We act like just because he has his eyes cured, immediately he would be a very different person, even though he has lived his whole life in this way, just because this act of curing doesn't change who he is. The fact that he can go out and he can proclaim the power and the glory of God is because of his life that gets him to that point. I never thought of this passage in that way before. Lately, I've been thinking about disabilities in the church quite a lot. Noel's diagnosis, and that stood out to me. There's a lot of people throughout the Bible that have disabilities that we just kind of wax over. Straight from the beginning, I mean, 
There's Jacob who wrestled with God. God put out his, his hip. And we're never actually told that his hip heals at any point, but what we are told is, is that directly after that, he comes to terms with his brother. And because of that, well, the rest of the Bible happens. There's Moses. We are told that Moses has a crippling speech impediment to the point that Aaron has to be with him whenever he goes toe-to-toe with Pharaoh. And yet, that is what he does. We're never told that a speech impediment is healed. There is Elijah, who has such crippling depression that God has to come before him on a mountain to save him. But we're never told that the depression is healed. There is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, who is so small that he has to climb up a tree, is almost certainly a little person. We, we think that maybe he's just short. But like this is a period of time when there isn't terribly much nutrition going on, and height is just a function of nutrition and genetics. And Zacchaeus has all of the nutrition in the world because he's rich. The fact that he can't see even through the crowd almost certainly is a little person of some sort. There is this blind man. There is Paul who has a thorn in his flesh that never leaves him. These are all people that have lifelong disabilities. These are all people that are never healed. These are all people that it's because of their disabilities that God uses them because of their disabilities, that they can further the story of Scripture. It is uniquely because of these things about them that everything in Scripture comes. I think we're all good in saying that People that have disabilities are full of people, the same as anybody that is able-bodied. I think we all say that. But at the same time, I'm not altogether sure that we live that. Like, I mean, how often is it that if somebody has a disability, the first way that we deal with them is we talk about Healing first and foremost, right? Like, God will heal you and then you will be whole. And God can cure. God can heal. God does do all of these things. But if we hammer down on that enough, that gets across a very clear message. It gets across the message that because you have this disability, then either God doesn't want anything to do with you if you're not healed, or We don't need you because you're not. Or think about other ways that we live that just kind of discount people that have disabilities in our midst. 
Our church is wonderful. It's wheelchair accessible. It is easy to get any which way in it. You know when all of those conversations in the 90s and 80s were going on about making buildings wheelchair accessible and the importance of being accessible, do you know that one of the loudest voices fighting against that was different denominations and churches? And that makes sense because like old buildings, like ours is great, ours is new, but old buildings, it would be hard, it would be expensive to make those retrofits. But at the same time, it's easy to say that somebody is made in the image of God even though they have a disability and then do everything in your power to make sure that they can't even come to church on a Sunday. I mean, even our church, like, it's wonderful, but what does it say that there is no ramp that gets onto the stage, you know? You can come to our church, you can be a member, but you're not ever going to speak. I think we do have a ramp somewhere, though. In our passage today, there are many ways that you can read it. And one of the ones that has really struck me is just, even though you are not able-bodied, doesn't mean that you don't have everything to contribute to the work of God building the kingdom. Without Paul, without Moses, we don't have much of the Bible now, do we? If you are able-bodied, great. But if you are disabled, our passage today tells you, like, not only is your voice needed, your voice is needed more than anyone's because you uniquely show the power of God to all those around you because you uniquely have experienced it and even though she's only five years old like talk to Noelle sometime she has more to tell you about who Jesus is than I think I ever will and she's only been here for five short years So that's my challenge for you today. Not just to talk to Noel, but the challenge for you is think about the ways that how we act keeps people out of the church. Think about the ways that how we act makes the church less accessible to those who through their life, probably understand the glory of God better than anyone. Don't just be focused on how God can heal, but take heal in the bigger sense. Take heal in the bigger sense that God, through these people, can show who he is in the way that we need to the world. Because you are disabled doesn't mean that you are not fully a person. That 
fully knows who our Lord is in ways that other people will think that they do, then we just complain about how we're not supposed to do things on a Saturday, like the Pharisees do. That's not the way we've done things before. Do that. I dare say that the light of our God may shine through our eyes. Amen. service today at three. Alvira and I are going to have a great time. I hope you can join us.
But our benediction, as you heard from the song, comes from the book of Numbers. May God bless you and keep you. He smile on you and be gracious to you. He show you his face and give you peace. Go now and serve our God. Thank you.